Good morning, Risen. The scripture reading for our sermon this morning comes from Luke 18, 18 to 30, the rich ruler. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, and he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. For those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one left who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, guys. Um, you know, for the last two months, we've um, taken a break from our Luke sermon series. Um, Rich was on paternity leave, and so we had a bunch of guest preachers. I preached uh, a couple times, and um, as Rich returns next week, we're going to ramp back up um, to finish out this uh, Luke series uh, in the next two or three months or so. And so to catch us back up, we last left off where Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to those who have faith and love uh, for God like a little child, right? A helpless dependence on God. Jesus taught his followers that to enter the kingdom, it was about a spiritual humility towards God. And so right after that conversation, Jesus has this conversation with the rich young ruler that Kim just read for us. Jesus digs a bit deeper about how we enter the kingdom of God. And so today, we look at this interaction between uh, the ruler and Jesus and their dialogue together, um, and we'll see what's going on here. So we have three points this morning. Our goodness, idols of the heart, and God's goodness. And so for this first point, we talk about our goodness. Um, the ruler in our sermon text, he's probably um, a religious lay leader, possibly a Pharisee, and we're not completely sure, but we know that he's wealthy because it says so in the text. Um, we also know that he religiously has kept the law since he was a kid, right, a, a youth. Um, and so the ruler starts this conversation. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, he replies with this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And the first thing to notice here is that Jesus points out whether this guy actually knows who he is. The ruler understands that Jesus is good, but Jesus sees into the ruler's heart and he asks probing questions. 
He wants uh, the ruler to think through a little bit more of what he is saying. It's kind of like when my kids ask me where the iPad is, I look around and it's like right next to them. And so I say, where did you last leave it? Did you check any of the tables? You know, rather than giving them the answers and saying it's right there, I want them to think through um, and come to the conclusions themselves. And so this is what Jesus is kind of doing as he said, when he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's not de denying that he himself is divine and he's very God himself, but he wants the ruler to come to this conclusion that he's not just a good teacher, but he is Lord of all. But the ruler, he doesn't seem to really understand who Jesus is. To him, Jesus is just a good dude, right? A great teacher, an important figure. But Jesus is not Lord or King and God in this ruler's life. Next, Jesus answers uh, how this ruler can have eternal life. Verse 20, he says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. The ruler replies, Oh, I followed all those commands, right? He says, All these I have kept from my youth. And so this ruler, he was not a bad person. He was outwardly probably a pretty good person, probably better than any of us here. But again, Jesus sees the ruler's heart and he probes a bit because he wants the ruler to see his own insufficiencies. Let me give you an example of the goodness of uh, this ruler. Um, before I decided to go to seminary um, over a decade ago, I had a sort of uh, spiritual awakening where I felt so convicted of my sin. I was reading the Bible, and so I was listening to a bunch of different um, uh, sermons and preachers preaching, and there's this one preacher that had this kind of hellfire style, you know, the turn or burn where he puts everybody on blast, calls everybody sinners, yelling at them, you know, kind of crazy, but I kind of needed it at that time, right? And so it was revealing, helping me to reveal my own heart that, oh man, I, I fall short of God. I'm a sinner. And during that time, for a season, I was on this pseudo-spiritual high of thinking, oh, now that I'm aware of my sins, I can fight against it, right? I, I can just uh, will myself to um, systematically work on this, this, and this, and just do better at following the commands of God, right? No problem. You know, I knew I was imperfect, but with a feeling of this uh, spiritual renewal, I tried to be devoted to the Christian disciplines of growing in the fruit of the Spirit, right? Growing in love, uh, pa peace, patience, kindness, self-control. I, I aim to be more pious and um, fight for holiness and righteousness to live more for Jesus. And so uh, when I got uh, into ministry, first got into ministry work, I made it a point that I was going to outserve everybody. I'm going to outserve everybody, outlove, outsacrifice. If there's anything I'm good at, it's uh, spending countless hours working on church stuff, and it's not always good work. It's not always efficient or effective work, but I can do it, right? Even at the cost of uh, putting strain on family life. And from an outsider's perspective, that's, that's just kind of dumb, right? Like, you need some boundaries. You, that's just stupid. But when I was in that mode, I thought that I can spend more time being more holy um, and thinking that I'm a pretty good person, putting in all that work. And, you know, fighting to live for Jesus, it's a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing. Uh, but what ended up happening, as you might guess, is that the subtle sins, or maybe the not-so-subtle sins on the, from outside, uh, the subtle sin of pride wasn't fully dealt with. I saw my actions as subtly earning favor and value before God. And like the ruler, I missed the point of what it meant to enter the kingdom of God. Right? God wants my whole heart. He wants my worship. He doesn't just want my outward appearance of appearing like a better person. 
I felt very much like this ruler, and I saw myself. I said, God, look at me, right? I'm, I'm pretty good. Don't I deserve to be in your kingdom? And so it's funny how a conviction of my sinfulness as I was reading my Bible led me to fight against my sin in a sinful way, right? I was trying to be more righteous, more holy, more devoted, because that's what God calls us to, right? But I did it with the wrong motivations, just like the rich ruler. We were both trying to earn our salvation. What's funnier is that, you know, as I read this text, um, I thought I was even better than the ruler, right? I was like, oh, he's not willing to give up and sell everything to follow Jesus. I think I am, though, right? I'm better than this guy. All right, the lack of spiritual self-awareness was pretty glaring. The reason I use this as an example is to share how easy it is for us to think that we are good enough, right? to think that we are obedient enough, to think that, oh, we're pretty good. We're not like those other sinners that kill or steal or cheat. Or let's make it more relatable to us. It's easy for us here to think that we are more righteous and gifted than others in this room. We tithe more. We give to the poor more. We think we are more spiritually mature because we put in more time and energy in serving early on Sundays. We think we are good enough for God because we show up every Sunday on time, 10.30, rather than others who are spotty with their attendance. They come during announcements, right? We think we're better. It's easy for us to think that we are committed and more godly than other people. But we have to ask, are we like the rich ruler who misses the point of following God's commands? Are we like the ruler who says, oh, I've kept all those commandments. Look at my goodness. I deserve to be here. Are you trusting in your own goodness? Do you think you're good enough to enter the kingdom of God? And so, as usual, Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. He shows the ruler and he shows us that we need to dig deeper. We need to look deeper into our hearts. And this brings us to our second point, the idols of the heart. You know, Jesus, he, he says, okay, follow these commands. And then the ruler says, oh, I've kept all those commands. And then Jesus responds, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have Distribute to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The ruler thought that for his whole life, he had the law of God down, no problem. But if he just took a moment to self-reflect, dig a little deeper, looking at his goodness, he would realize that it's not good enough, that he falls very short. But in his blindness, to his own goodness, he says, oh, I've kept the law. Right? It could be that he was well-intentioned in trying to keep the law, but his lack of spiritual self-awareness was glaring to Jesus, and Jesus, he points it out. He says that, ruler, you haven't even kept the first commandment, where God says, you will have no other gods before me. Right? And he tests him. He says, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. This is how we have eternal life. The ruler, he stops, puts his head down. He thinks a little bit, kicking the dust. He couldn't do it. He walks away. He was too wealthy, right? For some, money is not yet an idle issue for us, but maybe because we don't have much of it. But here, Jesus specifically shows the ruler that his wealth, that was his God. 
right? That was his idol. Talking about idols, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he described it this way. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. Idols give us a sense of being in control, and we can locate them by looking at our nightmares. What do we fear the most? What, if we lost it, would make life not worth living? We make sacrifices to appease and please our gods who we believe will protect us. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. This definition clearly describes this rich ruler's idolatry. Right? Instead of choosing to follow Jesus, the eternal God and king over all things, he follows his wealth. He follows his idol. Jesus even told him, you will gain treasure in heaven if you give that up. Right? What you're giving up now is nothing compared to what I'm going to give you in heaven. Still, the rich ruler chooses his temporary earthly wealth. He walks away from Jesus. After this exchange, you know, there are three main things we see about this ruler. First, he clearly doesn't see his sinfulness. Right? He thought he was good enough. Number two, he clearly doesn't know who Jesus is. Why would anybody walk away from the king of glory who is offering you eternal life in his kingdom? Right? He counted the cost to follow Jesus. It ends up he didn't love Jesus. He wanted eternal life, but he didn't want Jesus. And number three, his God, his idol of his heart, specifically was his money. He was enslaved to it. Let me give a TV example of how an idol controls our hearts and our lives. Um, in the 2008 TV series Breaking Bad, it tells the story of a high school chemistry teacher, Walter White, who on his 50th uh, birthday, he receives a diagnosis that he has terminal lung cancer, he has two years to live. And he has a family at home, he has a pregnant wife, he has um, his son, his handicapped son that he has to take care of. He doesn't make very much money, um, but he, as a main income provider, he's devastated. He's, how is my family going to survive if I'm gone? And so he does whatever he can to make money, right? So one day, uh, Walter White, he runs into a former uh, chemistry st uh, student in, from uh, high school. His name is Jesse Pinkman, and Jesse Pinkman, he sells drugs, right? He sells meth for a living. And through his desperation to care for his family, Walter partners with Jesse, and they begin making uh, meth, right? With his chemistry background, he makes the purest form of meth is this blue meth and they begin to sell it and they begin to make a lot of money very quickly and Walter soon has enough money to provide for his family right he's been uh, saving it under the floorboards and his family's finally secure right his it's he's good now he can quit right but what happens he keeps going he sees this money that he's making and he idolizes that money and the power that comes with it. So he scales things up, he ramps up production, and he begins to crave and idolize power and reputation so much that he begins to um, catch uh, the attention of the DEA, other drug cartels, and he tries to outsmart them, he tries to outsmart and uh, overpower these other drug cartels. And this show stretched out for, I think, six seasons, and I think every season we saw this downward spiral of Walter into depravity, 
what started out as a good thing, him wanting to take care of his family, providing for his family, it turned into an all-consuming thing. Right? He idolized his family so much that it controlled everything he was doing, even leading him to a life of crime. Even after he was able to provide for his family, the idols of his heart turned to more money, more power, a stronger reputation, and he sought significance and salvation in these idols. He would do anything to protect it. Right? His conscience eroded to the point where he stopped feeling bad that people were dying because of him, right? The idols of his heart took him so deep that caring for his family, initially his priority, no longer mattered anymore. He was putting his family in danger all the way up until he died at the very end. Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> this was definitely a feel-bad TV series. I summed it up. Six, I saved you, like, hours, <laughs> hours of watching Breaking Bad. Um, but it was, it was a feel-bad series, but it was exciting. Um, and it was so interesting and relatable to a certain degree on a human level. Right? Not that we would turn into drug lords or murderers, but if we look long enough at our own lives, we can look at this downward spiral effect of the idols in our hearts that control us. You see, we are not unlike Walter White. We are not unlike the rich ruler. A lot of our intentions might start out well, right? finding a good job, starting a family, but it begins to consume us to a point where we'll, we will do anything to get it. It controls us. We don't want to let it go, even if Jesus asks us to let it go. Like the rich ruler, our idol blinds us and steers us away from Jesus. And while we might not outright um, admit and deny Jesus and walk away from Jesus, we show in our lives that we can't let go of our idols, don't we? It controls us. We know that being wealthy is not a bad thing, right? Uh, there are a lot of wealthy and faithful followers of Jesus in the Bible, but Jesus sees this ruler's heart. He knows it's his idol. He pinpoints it. He draws it out. Jesus, he doesn't fluff things up. He says, what about this in your life, ruler? And so, Risen, we need to take a look at our own hearts. We have to ask ourselves, what is in your heart that keeps you away from Jesus? What is it that you can't give up if Jesus asks you to give it up? Is it your money? Does wealth give you a false sense of security? Right? What if Jesus takes away your riches in the form of all your investments? Right? They crash crypto, all your stocks, they crash. You lose your job, you lose your home, you lose everything, and there's nobody around to back you up. In that season, would you still love and follow Jesus, or would you walk away? Do you have the idol of relationships and family? What if you long to be married, you long to have this family, but Jesus asks you to give that up because it's going to keep you away from him? What if you really want kids, but Jesus asks you to give that up? What if you already have a family, but Jesus takes it away from you? Would you still love and follow Jesus, or would you walk away from Jesus? Risen, nobody is exempt from this. We all have these things in our hearts that keeps us away from Jesus. I can list out so many things, and the tricky thing is, a lot of these things are good things in and of themselves, but we turn them into idols. We let it control us. Right? Wanting to be successful in your businesses and careers, it's a good thing. Right? It drives us to do great work and bring value to our communities, but we become so enamored and singularly focused on success that we slowly begin to lose focus of Jesus and what he wants in our lives. And it's obvious what he wants. 
He wants us to just have him over this metric of success, right? The heart is tricky. Wanting to have a family and to give your kids the best opportunity to succeed, it's a good thing. It'll help them to develop to be better people in this world. But are we so focused on our kids that we care less and less about other people? We care less and less about our neighbors and our communities. We care less and less about Jesus. The heart is tricky. I don't claim to know what your idols are. I don't think that everything is so black and white. And just because you really want something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your idol. I understand that. Um, I also don't think that we have to give everything up haphazardly, right? But we have to look at our hearts to understand what controls us, what keeps us away from eternal joy and life in Jesus. Some of these idols might be obvious. Some might be very subtle. Let me share with you one of my idols. Um, One of my idols uh, that is um, a big one for me um, is that I have this strong need to be loved and valued by others. I know that sounds like kind of petty and uh, probably narcissistic, but it drives so much of what I do and how I compose myself. And I do believe that and trust that Jesus and God, he loves me, he values me for who I am, but sometimes I don't feel like that's enough for me. So I seek it in other places. I seek it from you guys. I seek it from my friends. I seek it from Lauren, the kids. I seek it any way that I can find it. And here's a real-time example of the struggle. It's kind of, kind of minor and kind of dumb, but um, yesterday morning we had this risen hike, uh, which Lynn and KR uh, organized for us. And I RSVP'd yes to, uh, to this a couple weeks ago, uh, but then in the morning I... Uh, wanted to change my RSVP to no um, and let Lynn and KR that, oh, I'm busy. I'm working on, on this sermon that I'm, I'm preaching right now. And I'm busy, right? Um, uh, it's in Oakland. It's about 35 minutes away. And, um, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong if I uh, decided not to come. Nobody would have thought anything of it. But my mind immediately went to thinking, oh, but what is Karen Lynn going to think of me, right? The, what are the people that will be there? What are they going to think of me? They're going to think that I'm a flaker, Right? They're going to think that I'm not dedicated to Risen, that um, I'm not working hard enough. And legit, those are my, <laughs> that's my conversation in almost everything that I do. Like, oh, what are people going to think of me? So I showed up. <laughs> and uh, I had a great time, by the way. You should go on those hikes. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was amazing. Like, it was a really good time. Was, so many of you guys were there. It was, it was a really good turnout and good conversations. But my initial motivation to go was so that people wouldn't think that I'm not dedicated to them, right? That I'm, I didn't want them to think that bad of me, right? Really sad, kind of petty. You see, this is just one small example of something that I struggle with. And I'm being honest with you guys now, right? This, this idolatry of seeking value in what people think of me, it's very strong. It is a constant battle. It's not wrong to be, want to be loved, to be affirmed by others. We all need that. We all want that. It's biblical that we love and support each other in this way. But my neediness for this is probably next level. Therapy level, next level, right? Uh, some people don't care at all what others think of them, and that can be bad too. But my other idol is that I care too much about what people think of me, too little about what God thinks of me. You see, there's even something that can be good me serving and doing ministry and showing up and loving people, it can be a form 
of an idol. The heart is tricky and deceptive. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Risen, the intention this morning is not to make you feel this low-key guilt and shame anytime you have strong desires towards uh, wanting to have success or developing relationships, wanting to have kids or a family or a spouse, or even wanting to be happy and loved in a community. Right? Those are all good and beautiful things. We should want those things. Right? We can enjoy those things and we can thank God for it. We don't believe in asceticism where you have to avoid any form of pleasure. Right? Not at all. It's okay to enjoy the blessings that God gives you in your life. Thank him for it. But as Jesus speaks to us to reveal our spiritually broken hearts, he offers us a better way. And so we have to ask, why is Jesus even worth following? Or like the rich ruler, should we just walk away and find salvation by, our, by ourselves in our own ways? This brings us to our last point, God's goodness. As the rich ruler, he uh, turns away from Jesus and the offer that Jesus gives to him of eternal life. Uh, Jesus says this, verse 24. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus explicitly calls out wealth here as an idol because it is a big one that many of us struggle with. Right? It makes sense, right? Because those who are wealthy, they can buy away, they could buy their solutions. You could pay away your problems. They don't need to depend and cry out to God for their basic necessities. I'm certain that relative to much of the world, us in this room, we fall into this category, right? It is clear in Scripture that the idols of our heart can be more than just wealth, just like we talked about. But Jesus says salvation and eternal life into the kingdom of God it's very difficult. He uses this very extreme example of how it's easier for a camel, this big camel, to go through a tiny eye of a needle than to enter the kingdom of God. Basically, he's saying that it's impossible. It's impossible to rid ourselves of our idols. It's impossible for us to find salvation by ourselves. You see, church, our passage this morning, it's not just telling us, oh, don't be like the rich ruler who couldn't give up his idols. No, this passage is telling us that none of us is able to give up our idols on our own strength. Right? We will always bend to our idols. We will always walk away from Jesus and the kingdom that, that he offers us if left to ourselves. And so in verse 26, his disciples ask, who can be saved? And here is the beauty of the gospel. This is why Jesus is worth giving everything up to follow. Verse 27, Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What does that mean? It mean, means because of our sin, salvation is out of reach. It's impossible for us. It also means that we have a good and loving God, a king and a savior who comes to bring salvation into us, into his eternal, he brings us into his eternal kingdom, 
right? He comes to us. He brings us salvation even while we are sinners. Unlike our idols that are inanimate and they do nothing but control and trap us, we have a living God that frees us from our idols. He lives for us to restore our souls, right? What kind of God and King does this? The Christian gospel is unique. It's unique because though God demands so much of us to enter the kingdom of God, he himself sends his son Jesus to fulfill all the demands, all the requirements for us because we could never do it on our own. And even while we are lost, man, Jesus seeks us out, right? He pursues us. He loves us. This is why I love coming to church every Sunday. In those tiny moments, I just want to hear that God loves me, that I'm unworthy and yet he makes me worthy. What idol would do that for you? None. The gospel tells us that salvation is only possible because King Jesus gave up heaven. He gave up all of his heavenly glory and riches to actually come to us 2,000 years ago as a man to die this shameful death on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to break the spiritual power of the idols that plague our hearts. He became poor for us so that we could be eternally rich in him. And risen to the degree that we understand how much we have been given by Jesus, then we can begin to let go of our idols that control us, right? We will be more generous with our time, our wealth, our service, our love. Instead of only looking at what we can gain and hoard in our lives, we learn to let go. Right? We learn to bless others because we have been blessed so much. And so we look to our neighbors that we actually physically live next to. We look to our friends at church. We look to um, our friends at school, at work. We look to our cities. We are blessed and we can pour out and love them because of what God has given to us. Church, we have a good God that speaks to us this morning. He calls us to lay down our idols, to follow him into an eternal and glorious kingdom, not by our own power, that's impossible, but simply by receiving Jesus through faith, by the power of God. Come to Jesus, friends. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are amazed, amazed by this gospel, this gospel that we take for granted. Man, we are amazed that every part of Scripture points to your goodness to us. It not only reminds us of our sinfulness, but it gives us the answers. It gives us redemption. It doesn't shame or guilt us. It gives us hope. It gives us restoration. Like the disciples ask when everybody left Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nothing else. It's you, God. And so we pray, God, that we would be encouraged by your gospel this morning. We would understand how much you really love us, 
We hear it so often. We pray, God, that you would convict our hearts. You would break our hearts to understand not just our sinfulness, but how much you cover us with your righteousness. And so we thank you, God, that we have the privilege and honor to hear from your words. Transform our hearts, our lives, so that we can love others more. We can give more to others. And ultimately, we can praise and worship you daily. God, we thank you for Christ, for making all of this possible, for dying for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.